1116 SEN. This is the Flag Flyers for the American Australian Association, devoted to strengthening relations between the United States and Australia. Continuing on with our Aussies in Profile series here on the Flag Flyers, we've got Nathan Chapman, former AFL champion. Yes, I did say champion. And the brains behind Pro Kick Australia. He's been on the show a few times with us, but this time we wanted to talk about uh, your history, your uh, your career in both the AFL and Pro Kick Australia. Nathan joins us in the studio. Welcome, mate. Christopher. Now, these days you are known as the genius behind Pro Kick Australia, and we are going to get to Pro Kick Australia a little later on, but we wanted to start from the start when you were the number two draft pick in the 1992 AFL draft, selected ahead of guys like Justin Lepich, Martin Pike, Andrew McKay, all those greats as well, Wayne Campbell. Your junior footy career must have been pretty good. Um, yeah, well, I mean, from that point of view, it was probably, um, you know, fortunate enough to... Right, look, I grew up in a, a small country town in Colburn Abbott outside of Bendigo. Population was 200 people. And the youngest... I was there from, I think we went there when I was about eight, and the youngest football team there was under-16s. So literally, from eight years of age, I was playing in under-16 football. <laughs> so I lit, I had to find my way to get a kick. So you had to play and, against men, yeah. So it was really funny, because when, then when I moved from, um, from Colburn Abbey into Bendigo, I'd played sort of three years of under-16 football. I was 11, and then I came back and played... In Bendigo was more teams, so I had to play under 12s. And it was literally like, what's going on here? You kids don't know how to play football. So I think there was a bit of a, an early development, which probably just set me ahead of a, a few other kids at that age. The question has to be asked, though, why didn't you go number one? <laughs> oh, this is a, uh, Come the story's on, weird. I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from the number one pick, Drew Banfield, because he went on to play 12 million games and... <laughs> So did all Couple the other stars. Yeah, so they've done well. But there was an, uh, a story that, um, and it's not the story, it was a, a conversation that I had with West Coast at the time. And at that stage, I wasn't prepared to go across to Western Australia. You I, put the ultimatum to them? Well, it was just a, look, I don't know if I'm that keen on going across, um, whether it was a good choice or not. Yeah, who knows? But... Uh, could I have gone number one? Would that have changed their, their thoughts? I'm not quite sure, but the conversation was, you know, they were just new into the into the, into the the league and I'm, I was sort of waiting to... I was thinking I was going to stay in Victoria. In hindsight, do you think it would have been better to have played for West Coast than someone like Fitzroy where you were... Oh, sorry, with uh, Brisbane. You kind of forced into playing the full-back position. You're only, what, 188 centimetres-ish? 65 kilos? Yeah, yeah. 65 kegs? You're a bit of a rake. (laughs) Yeah. Being forced to play full back. Do you reckon that kind of uh, was the best thing for your career? Well, as a young whippersnapper and sort of playing, it was. I'd thought that I was ready to play. And West Coast had told me if we're going to bring you across here, we're going to develop you in the reserves for two years to build your body up. Right. And the two years thing is probably what made me think, no, no, but if I'm ready to play, I want to play. And from that point of view, that probably was the decision that I don't want to do that. In hindsight, at 77 kilos and playing on Gary Ablett. 77? 77 You were actually playing 77 kilos? 17, 77 kilos. And and in round four, I was playing on Gary Ablett was my first big task. (laughs) What did he kick? Senior, kick six. (laughs) That it was that... Oh, maybe two years in the, <laughs> to build my body <laughs> up was because I'd never really touched a weight before. So, uh, 
good or bad choice, who knows? I might have gone on to play 300 or I might have played 10 and who knows. The fact that you played full back and in that era, which was pretty much the, the, you know, the golden era of full forwards, you played on Ablett, you played on Lockett, yeah. you play on Dunstall, mm-hmm. Longmire. Um, Longmire, I, I think... I think in succession of weeks it was something like uh, Ablett. Sorry, my first one was Sumich, and then it was oh. Ablett, and then it was. Um, it literally went. Did you get Salmon at any point? No, I, in and out. There were sometimes in key positions where I might have had to, you know, get on them for a quarter or so. But Ablett was for three and a half quarters. Um, but then it was either on the big forward or filling the hole in front of. In those days, it was you know, log it, kick, lock it, it. kick it <laughs> high and long, you know, and get front and square. But as a defender, the floating defender had to fill a gap in front of those forwards, and it was so it was pretty daunting. But it just went for week after week on great players. So it was a great learning experience. But by crikey, I took a hiding. That's for sure. <laughs> Which one was the, um, I suppose, the the hardest one to play on, or what was the most, you know, just the one that gave you the biggest towel up ever or the biggest just like bringing down to earth um, match up? Was it Lockett or? Um, just for, well, it's really funny because I was probably more athletic rather than speed or anything and I could read the ball well. That was what I thought my talents were and I could kick. So when I played on these guys, it was a case of I never, I tried never ever to body them. It was, a, it was come in from the side, read the ball, cut them off jump when I needed to, you know, because they were so big and strong. So um, Ablett kicked six. They won by a point that particular day. They <laughs> uh, kicked, kicked, you know, one each quarter and then three in the last. So, you know, you could say you've you've done well, but he's also kicked six. Um, that was probably the biggest, biggest, I guess, score against. That's not bad. Which was That's pretty not good. too bad. And I, That's I, below uh, Ablett's average, really. You yeah. Just kick a bag ten. Yeah. So, um yeah, but never really. Yeah, I guess that was the area where sometimes they were kicking tens and twelves and things like that. Was that the style of footy that you were playing in the under sixteens back in Bendigo or near Bendigo the, the, that you were kind of playing fullback position where you were kind of playing off the um, off the player or, or what? What kind of footy did you no, play well, in the, juniors? The, here's, here's the weird thing: I was an I was an on baller. Yeah, that's why um, I expected it. My I always had in my growing up. My mentality was, and even though I was nothing like. Or as good as I was, like Kudafidis. It was. It was. I felt like I was going to be a six foot three midfielder who mm-hmm. could run, and I played on the ball everywhere as a junior. And then growing up, um, I was going for a representative team, which was the under fifteen Vic side, I think it was. And we had, you know, had all the trials and all that, and I literally was playing on the wing and on the ball. And played in, we had two practice matches to make the team. Um, first day was sopping wet. I remember it was in Melbourne. Played on the wing. And anyway, I got I got dragged in the third quarter. Um, and then I thought, oh, gee, I must have been playing too well. I wonder what's going to happen. Anyway, the next day was the next game. The next game I was played at full back. And I thought, oh, yeah, shit, I've just shot myself in the footy. I'm, <laughs> I'm now, like, the next spot's the bench. And... Um, and then, funnily enough, after the game, I did pretty well at fullback. And the, the coaches, we sort of said, well, why'd you move into fullback? And he just said, well, you got too many kicks the day before and we'd had you in the side, so we're now just going to put you out of the way and put you at fullback. 
and then you've towed up our full forward <laughs> and never left. That was probably the worst thing for you. So I had that, I had that on ball mentality with some, you know, being I guess agile to a degree and could kick. But then I just ended up in full back, and then I think I might have made the all Australian team or, or got close or did something like that. I can't remember in the um, in the under 15s, and then that was it. So I was then known as a backman. I think, we've got, back. I think we've got a nice audio clip that we can uh, orchestrate there to say that Chapman called himself uh, Kudafidis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think uh, uh, we'll post that out to all the uh, Yeah, boys. looking very similar to Kuda these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. <laughs> no Suvlaki hut, but yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, in terms of when you, you were Brisbane first for two years, three years? Five. Five years. Yeah. How did that how, what was that experience like in, in comparison to Hawthorne? And can you talk us through how you ended up at Hawthorne? Was it a trade or were you delisted or how'd that work? Uh, okay, so got um, got drafted when I was in at the end of year 12. So I was going to Wesley College in Melbourne. I'd, at 16, I'd moved from Bendigo to do year 12 in Melbourne for, again, another weird story. They thought I was in year 11. But I was in year 12 and they said, do you want to repeat? And I said, no, thanks. I'll just finish my year 12. And uh, how, does, how, do they, how do they think that you're in year 11? How does well, that come about? I, that I, seems a weird thing. Yeah, I went down there on a, on a bit of a sports scholarship and then they normally only give them for people with two years. Right. And then ah. it was a case of, oh, hang on. And we said, well, I'm not going home and I'm not doing year 11 again. So, uh, so I moved out of home at 16 to go to Melbourne and then played uh, – I would literally play school footy on a Friday. I would then get a train back or mum and dad would pick me up, take me back to Bendigo. I'd play for Kangaroo Flat senior football on the Saturday. And then on the Sunday, would generally, during the year, most weeks play in some representative type game you know, to make some team. So I remember at 15 and 16 years of age uh, playing something like 52 games of football per year. Whoa, Jesus. And that was, and in between football and that season was also doing basically the same with cricket and trying to mix, you know, the the cricket and football. So, Were you a dual sport athlete? Were you pretty good at cricket? Uh, I had a, a little bit of a run. I'd, when I got to, to uh, Wesley College, I started to have a run at St Kilda's um, thirds. I was, there was a coach Bowler there. or batsman? Both. Hey, all rounder, and then of course um, he is. Yeah, of course. And then uh, I would literally got to a stage where I, yeah, I was starting to get into the not get into the Vic sides, but for cricket. But it was a case of starting to train and you know see whether I could make the squads and things like that. So I was it was okay, but I was just doing a lot of sport. Um, so then when I got drafted, it was a case of you, you know, you're gonna have to give one up. So obviously cricket went, and then. Moved up to Brisbane by 17 and did the pre-season and, and started that journey there, which was tough. Tried to go to uni at the same time. and 17 fe- years old. Yeah, and found that really difficult. Moved in with some great people and legends, and uh, Paul and Kate Spargo. Paul used to play for North Melbourne, then went up there. Um, lived with Nathan Buckley for the first, you know, for half a year, and obviously Leper was drafted at the same time, so got some great... Great guys in that in that area and era and that year and who went up there, but literally five years went pretty quick. A couple of injuries along the way, and um, yeah, timing's everything. And as as ninety percent of the playing list of any club, as glamorous as it can look, you know, there's ten percent who are probably secure, and the rest are fighting for a spot. And if you're fighting for a spot and you don't think you're getting what you know the game time you feel, 
we all looked for another option and put my hand up to, to go elsewhere. So what was the trade? Brad Scott, Ford. I rem- so as a player, it was Brad Scott moved from Hawthorne yep. up to... Um, was he sorry, the rising yeah. star or was that Chris Scott? Uh, Chris Scott was. Yeah, Chris So Scott. Johnny Barker and I came from... Um, Brisbane down here, and I think when Brad you just Scott... mentioned four AFL senior coaches that you've heard. I was about with. to say that actually because I, I had a look at that trade and I had a look at a couple of the blokes that have been drafted around yeah. the same time as you as well. There but, are a lot so of senior coaches. So you got Buckley, Lepage, um, Barker, and yeah. Scott. Yeah, and then played with Chris Scott and, and Michael played with Boss. Fifth. Hey, how am I going? Are you ramming this home? Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these guys, yeah. these guys are I the guy that said he was Kudafidis. Oh, right. I said he was my crap. <laughs> Speaking of John Barker, actually, really quickly, what have you had much to do with him in the recent? Years have you spoken to him much? What do you think of him as a, as, a, as a football guy? Do you think that he he should be the man to to lead Carlton next year, or is it just kind of the thing where you don't know too much about it at the moment? No, I mean, look from from everything I've heard, and, and you know, Barks and I not not that we catch up that much. It's you know, had known each other for a number of years from from when he went up there, so and went down to Hawthorne together. So I think Barks is awesome. I think he'd be a great man for the job. Who's not? Who's not a great man, and will it work? Will it won't? I mean, you could say for any coach. It's. I think there's great candidates. Would I put my hand up for Barks? Too right, I would. I think from from what I've heard and seen in his people's skills personally, he's uh, an outstanding candidate. I think they should give him a shot at it. So your Hawthorne days, when you rocked down here, how, how many seasons did you end up at the Hawks, and um, what was that uh, playing experience like? Did you get the game time that you you, you wanted, or the you know the added um, responsibility that you thought that maybe you weren't getting at Brisbane? Um, I put Hawthorne down as one of the most frustrating er- uh, parts of my career. It was it was enormously um, stressful from a number of fronts. I didn't get along with, uh, with coach Ken Judge at the time. I've heard lots of things <laughs> about Kenny Judge yeah. in terms of the... He's got a short fuse, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, well, that's right. And I wasn't on his A list, that's for sure. <laughs> um and and there were and it's sort of um a beautiful story about that whole thing was and it's not beautiful because it probably was my undoing in at the end of the day. It was back in the day where we had uh Vic football, you know, state of origin. Ah, yeah. And um yeah, around twelve thirteen there was always the week off for state of origin football. So during that week we'd we'd and look, I probably took about seven or eight games to start actually playing okay. I wasn't really setting the world on fire. First game for Hawthorne was against uh, Collingwood. Um, played at the MCG, great game. Played on Savrocker, he kicked four that day. They had a good win. So we, we, we weren't going that flash as a team. Week 12, 13, had the week off. Um, did some training up at Xavier, you know, we run up the road from... You know, Glen Ferry Oval and did some training. Broke my shoulder. Yeah, just you know, during a training drill, cracked it. And you know, walked into the walked into the sheds um, at Xavier. There, my arms hurt. Physios told me you're not going to play footy again this year. You, your shoulder's done because it was you know going into round 14. You're probably going to miss six odd weeks. Sure. You probably won't play again. And I was, in my head. You know, oh, yeah, that was pretty devastating. And I just started to put a couple of games together that were how I'd, how I'd wanted to play. And then um, I was I got really pissed off because I was then told at training to go and... Well, there's there's a physio 
a few streets away, drive your car down there and, you know. While you had the bus with, with, one, with one arm. <laughs> yeah, safety first, right? everyone. So yeah. I've got the manual car. I'm, I'm oh, really I'm Driving cra- stick. I'm yeah. really cranky at them. They've just said, you're not going to play for the rest of the season. Drive yourself down there and pick up a, you know, a strap for your arm to secure it until you go and see a doctor on, you know, come back on the Monday. So I got really cranky at them. So I did that. I drove down there, got the strap, went home, you know, put my bloody sookie la la head on for it <laughs> for two weeks. Didn't turn up to training. Two weeks. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> probably not the greatest. And, and you give your boys push-ups when they wear white socks yeah, yeah. or black socks or whatever. Well, this is why I'm so hard on them because, again, I'm not saying that it was a smart move. Yeah. But I was yeah. cranky at the time. I was cranky at the club. They said I wasn't going to play and I had to look after myself and that's how it felt. Mm. Anyway, two weeks later, I was, it was ironic because <laughs> that particular day I was about to head back down to training and I got a phone call from Ken Judge and they haven't rent board meeting on board meeting they were, all the coaches around a table and I was sitting on a conference call and they've called me up and said so how you going I said going alright how you going <laughs> so it was one of those it was pretty awkward yeah are you going to come down to training and I said yeah I'm going to come down today actually they said alright well how's your shoulder and I said well shoulder's buggered told I wasn't going to play for the rest of the season and then I just clearly remember hearing Ken Judge say well, that's funny because the physio just told us you should play in two weeks. And I went, okay. Well, haven't I just been duped? So I was really furious. So he told me I wasn't playing on the field, uh, yeah, at, at the club rooms when we we're up at Xavier. The physio. The physio. But then told the coach I should be right in a couple of weeks. <laughs> so I got cranky. What's going on Didn't there? turn up. And so from that day on, I was obviously in the bad books with all the coaches thinking I'd run my own shop. And it's like, yeah, you're going to, you know, you think you can come in here and waltz in and train when you want. And I'm like, no, I was just told. What, what year was this? This was uh, 98. 98. It's changed a lot since then. So it, it sort of set the path then of I was not going to get a look in and that I'd done wrong by the club. And I'm not saying it was the right decision by me. It was it was wrong. It was you know a stupid mistake of mine to think that I could. Yeah, you know, I should have been more professional about it. But I was just cranky. I was angry at the club for that, the way it was handled at the time. So then when the coaches got involved, well then I was never getting a game again. So then that season, that pre-season, the word on the street for, to the Other fitness oh. staff was Nathan Chapman via the head coach was Nathan Chapman will not play a game in. 1999. Diva. Right? That was the head coach, the head coach's message to the fitness guy. And to his credit, that's what he did. He played me in the twos all year. Really? Yeah. Well, well um, what year did Kenny Judge get sacked? Was it 99? End of 99. End of 99. I think we can see uh, some, <laughs> some uh, correlation there. Mm. You know, play Chappie. Oh, <laughs> when we weren't going that well, and it was really hard because that season – we had so many injuries. Again, we, we, that was Shane Crawford's Brownlow year. We didn't have a great team. Um, we didn't have a great team, so we weren't making the finals. It was really, it was just a tough year. We had a lot of injuries. Um, structurally, it was pretty difficult. But when I had to train on the sideline, you know, on Tuesday, Thursday, they'd call a squad out and who's training. It would literally be me as the only senior player left on the roster, training with five or six of the Box Hill senior players training with us 
and it was just doing handballs off to the side. And I'm like, okay, so if there's if there's that many injuries and I'm not playing, it's going to be a long year. Chatting to Australians flying the flag in the US of A, this is the Flag Flyers. You just, just as a quick aside note, because I know Chris got a serious question coming up where I don't, um, is were you ever, uh, as a child, through 97, or not probably 96, 97, 98, 99, I uh, was uh, a big sticker collector. Were you ever in any of those Herald Sun sticker books? Because I've got a really, I'm just trying to dig my uh, mind up here to think that I reckon I've got a Nathan Chapman sticker somewhere. <laughs> I've, you know what? I've got a couple of footy cards, stickers I've got no idea about. Um, I've never seen. I know Mum's packed them away in storage at home. I, I should have, if I knew about this. Um, From the Herald Sun sticker book. Well, no, it's like the Herald Sun. Oh, no, it wasn't Herald Sun. I don't think, but like they used to have coupons and stuff like that. I used to buy like oh, these, that's right, yeah, 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 like yeah, yeah. Macca sticker books and yep. things like that. I, I've got this distinct image of what your sticker was at Hawthorne. Like you were just doing this drop punt, um, but like I'm just and the name Chapman just rings such a bell. It's like I wish I'd thought about this beforehand rather than just turning up here because <laughs> I could have showed you. I, I'm almost yeah. positive you're in a sticker book. Never seen it. Never seen no, it? Got a couple, there's probably a couple of magnets or something floating around. And again, my I, I've got a couple of footy cards in some drawers that the kids find every now and again and that's sort yes. of how they... Cam Johnson's found one. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> the boys, all the uh, punting boys seem to get into me because they're <laughs> some of the worst pictures ever of my <laughs> footy cards. So at this stage, you still haven't made the trip over to the States. You still haven't tried out with any of the NFL teams. What did you know about NFL at this stage? Had you watched it? Was it very prevalent in Australia at the time? Uh, not really, but but Darren Bennett was across there at yep. the, um, the time. And probably what got me um, thinking about it more is we did do a football trip to the States. And that was in about 94, 95. What was that for? A football trip, just a end of season. Oh, okay. So was that when you first kind of decided that this could be a thing that you'd be looking to do after your footy career? or Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, right. yes definitely. And when I was 15, I'd entered a, a sun kick at the time, um, which was a, you know the big long kick competition at, and got through to the grand final and won that. So I knew I could kick and, you know, went overseas, went on the trip. We went and visited a game, you know, Darren sort of – Took our club at the time across, um, got a seat. So it was one of those things where I thought, yeah, hey, why not? One day, one day. But That was 94. You yeah. didn't retire or um, leave AFL until when? Uh, end of the 2000 season. End of 2000? Yeah. So when did you make the change to go over to the US and, and what was the training process like up to there? How did you um, facilitate that um, those opportunities? Um well, by the end, I, look, I probably from that day in 94, when I would come back, I would continually practice torpedoes at training. With that in the back of your mind? Well, yeah, two reasons. Let me just practice torpedoes, but I would do them in AFL games because I was practicing them and I could do it. Um, so it was one of those, um, you know, it wasn't one reason or the other, but they were just. I just knew that. I could kick. I'll do this one day. Well, I'll just keep practicing along the way. So, um, and then, you know, when the, at the end of the 2000 season, I'd been in the in the league for eight years. Um, coaches seemed to think I was sort of too old and too slow, and it was a bit of a bit of a hard feeling to take because I was 25, and I was actually just becoming a man physically. You know, I was. Sort of starting to get to that eighty-seven kilo. Could you know? Could run was 
getting fitter, but I was, you know, my opportunity then sort of because I'd been out of, you know, I'd I'd played what is it, ninety eight, got injured, didn't play ninety nine. New coach came in, Peter Schwab, um, got on with Peter really well, but still had the old coaches and obviously old coaching company that were still there were under Ken Judge. So they still had their opinions of me and it was a case of, well, this is who will, this is who's got a bad attitude, a good attitude, this is who didn't play. So I ended up playing three games for that year. And and then it was a case of, well, I probably hadn't even played a game for two and a half years, so it, would, it sort of felt like I'd been out of the game a lot longer and that I must have been older and too slow, but in fact I was 25 and as fit as ever. 25, yeah, and the Burnett, Tomek, Nick Kyrgios of AFL football by the sounds <laughs> oh, of things. Yeah, I was a pain in the ass. Yeah. What's, um, what, was, uh, what was the next movement for you? Because obviously you went across uh, to, was it 04 that you ended up with the Green Bay Packers um, pre-season? What, what happened in between those years of end of 2000 and uh, 04? Uh, well, then I thought, well, what am I going to do? I didn't know what to do. I couldn't look at a game of footy. I couldn't, didn't want to go and watch any of my... I've moved back to Brisbane. Didn't want to go and watch anyone train because I knew I could still play. Um, went up and decided to practice my NFL kicking, but play local footy. So I played for Mount Gravatt for two seasons under um, Danny Craven, and uh, who I played with at Brisbane at the Bears and the Lions. And then um, literally went down to the park four days a week kicking football, kicking American football, and. I didn't know anyone. I didn't have any contacts, but I just knew that I could kick. So I, I trained myself to kick a spiral that way, just by pure repetition. And you taught yourself technique and all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Because there was no one here to teach me, or yeah, I mean, there wasn't any coaching. So you just like looking at okay, they want a hang time, and I'll just keep experimenting with what works until I find something that works. I didn't even know they wanted hang time. I was like every other person thinks, let's kick it as far as you can. Yeah. So. Mine was, how far can I kick it? I mean, and yeah, you know, my um, back in the back in that era, I then got in touch with uh, Ross Oakley, who had the NFL rights back then. In, oh, did he? Yeah. So he he and he had a there was a guy called Dwayne Armstrong who was working for Ross Oakley, who was an American guy who went to college and then. Might have spent some time at the Raiders, possibly on the on the preseason. I don't think he played. He was doing some work here, um, trying to you know get the, the message out about NFL football. And so I went with him, and uh, through a, a good friend at the time, Rob Dixon, who who played for Hawthorne and was a runner at Hawthorne and Brisbane, made my he had a media company and made my. I guess my film of me punting a ball, which is was done on the MCG. So I was. <laughs> was there any cuts in between punts? No. Six straight. No cuts. No, no, there's no. Cuts. Good. There was a case of. Um, well, yeah, we were told what to put on the film. I didn't know. It was one of these things where we couldn't. We obviously couldn't go to the MCG every day. We wanted to have a kick, so it was a. Yeah, you've got 45 minutes here. Let's kick. And that was the film we had, and I didn't know. I was none the wiser. Well, this is just how I kick. Not really thinking, oh, okay, this is what you need to do. Get better hang time. Let's change things around. So we got that We got that film that day. Um, I'd sent out so many hundreds of VHS tapes at the time. So she was um, <laughs> old school. And 
he didn't get any replies. You know, he said said that he'd sent them to hundreds of colleges and NFL teams. But looking at my film now, all of these kicks were sixty yards with five seconds plus. So hand. you've seen it recently? You've gone back and watched it. I, I remember it. I remember it. I was uh, again. I've I've got a CD somewhere. I don't know. It sort of works sometimes and doesn't. I'd converted it onto a, a CD. So there's yeah. My best kick was a five point three. You know, hang time sixty yarder, and the rest were all around you know fifty five yards of five seconds. So if I look at that ten years ago and know that that's what I was producing without actually working on hang time. If someone had told me what I was you know, doing wrong or should if have you done had an better, Ethan Chapman I, might yourself. To, I might have been able to kick it higher, don't kick it as far and change some things up. But I also know that those numbers would stack up in today's NFL system, mm. but also from a college point of view, they would never have seen anything like it. So it was frustrating to know that this guy was telling me that he'd sent 200 films across and never got one response. And I'm like, that was weird. So it took about two and a half years of me sort of chasing him down, saying, you know, ringing him every second day. Have you heard anything? Have you heard anything? So it was two and a half years of that. I was training four days a week, and then I thought, right, what am I going to do? I'm not getting anywhere. Because, again, it was emails. It was I'd even sent a, a message to Rick Sang at ProKicker.com, who's now an affiliate of ours and it was it was literally a year and a half later where he said hey I just saw your video you can kick you should get on a plane and come across and that's where it all started so that was where the three year gap was between trying to get someone and um, you know to look at my film and just so happened that when I was about to go across to one of these kicking camps I got a phone call from Lepper uh, Justin Leppich who said hey, I know you want to do this punting stuff. And I saw um, Schwabby was on film talking to a guy from Green Bay Packers. Maybe you should give Schwabby a call. So I'd, it was literally a week and a half before my flight was to go across there. I was taking my daughter and wife across to Disneyland. We we're going to go to a kicking camp across there. And uh, got in touch with John Dorsey at the Packers. And I said, can you watch this? And he said, yeah, by crikey, um, when you get here, we'll, we'll fly you to Green Bay. And that's pretty much how it started. What um, I just uh, the one red flag that goes up there is uh, were these VHS tapes making it across the ocean into the US or because you know it, it sounds kind of funny how someone that puts out those numbers uh, weren't well, getting that, well, any bites. Not yeah, well, that was the hardest thing. Is he said he was doing this work, but I got no replies, and I swear there was two hundred film that went across it that I'd given him to send across. They might, they might have been chocking up his couch, who knows, or been a, a chock stop for his caravan out in the garage, who knows. So what were your first impressions of Green Bay once you got there? Because obviously um, they probably wouldn't have been used to any Australians uh, on their roster. Even even now, after uh, all the good work that you've done and, and after all, all the um, prevalence of the NFL in Australia these days, we still haven't got a whole bunch of Aussies in the NFL now. Back then it was even less the case. How were you received and, and, and how was how was the uh, the on-field and off-field experience for you? Uh, well, being naive, everything was just great. didn't matter. It was... Uh, new experience. New experience. Um, yeah, my, my workout for them was I got to LA, so I flew to LA. They changed my flight details from LA to Green Bay. So it was a 30-hour trip to get there. And then um, we got there about 11 o'clock at night. 
went in the next day just to have a bit of a look around and then spent that night and the very next morning at six o'clock got picked up and by eight o'clock sort of had a bit of a workout. So I was jet lagged off my face. It was, yeah, it was really hard, but they didn't get jet lagged and I didn't understand it. So it was, for them, it was quite unique in a sense of, well, here's this guy, let's just bring him in and work him out. Um, I've got that, I've got that on film, which is always good to go back and have a look and have a look at how I kicked and how raw and you know what again what I'd do if I coached myself back in those days to go stop doing that you're you know it was just there's there are a lot of things that you look at it now and you just cringe and go my boys wouldn't get away with that yeah 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 definitely I'd be I'd be right onto it um so I got uh had that workout they were, they thought it was great you can see them laughing in the background I'm kicking <laughs> these balls I'm doing drop punts I'm doing sideways spinning you know banana, oh, banana kicks, kicks and all of this type of thing and they're laughing I think it's hilarious that what what have we got here? But it was it was late. Uh, it was early April. I think it was early April, and back then that's when the when the uh, the NFL draft was on. And so the recruiters had seen me kick a couple of times, but the, uh, which were at Green Bay. But because it was draft time, the other scouts were out looking for who they were going to take, and they just happened to. So two weeks later, I got on a plane, had to come back and sort my visa stuff out. Um, they picked up a guy called BJ Sanders in round three of the draft that year. So I hadn't been there long enough for them to say, this guy's going to be really good. So they'd known nothing. Hadn't kicked in front of the head coach. So no one knew about me except a number of recruiters. So when they picked up the guy in the third round, I thought, I didn't know anything. I thought, oh, well, he's been drafted. I'm on the list. I didn't know what my contract meant. I didn't realise that it was could have been torn up. I didn't. I got back to Australia and was having conversations again with, with Leper saying, he goes, what's that mean, your contract? I said, I've got no idea. I didn't really have an agent. I was just, here you go, I'd signed away and didn't know what it meant. I just thought, oh, well, I've just signed a $450,000 contract. Which car should I buy <laughs> you know, when I get back? I'm surprised they drafted a punter so high in the draft. Well, it was... They copped a lot of flack for it because no one third round. In the, in I think Janik, uh, what's his name, uh, Janikowski or whatever the Raiders is, like the only one that's gone probably yeah. higher. So and uh, so they copped a lot of flack for it. He played at Ohio State, had a good year. They went and worked him out. Apparently, it was a freezing cold, windy day, and he kicked well. And they went, "Oh, we need this kid because it's like Green Bay." So. Uh, and that's part of your philosophy about uh, loving boys going to the Big Ten, aren't you? Because you, you have to be able to kick in all conditions. Yeah, if you can go there and, and perform, well, yeah, you can go anywhere. So it was, um, you know, watching, my mentality never changed. It was, well, well, I'll go back and I'll beat this kid out. He's, you know, he's... A schmuck. He's, he's a schmuck. He's 20 years old. I'll, I'm 28. Been around pro football. I'll, I'll wear him down. No dramas. They paid him a million bucks, so that was a sign-on, you know, plus 450. Anyway, that sort of pre-season again, I, my visa took a little bit longer to, to sort of sort out, so I couldn't train with the main team. So during the pre-season and, and halfway through training camp, I could still only train after scrimmage had taken effect, so I wasn't getting the live reps. So my first real kicks were was the intra-club game in front of 70,000 people. So it was, you know, I'd sort of missed out on on a 
couple of important weeks of developing at full speed behind scrimmage with pads and doing all that. And um, anyway, they they uh, we played an intra club. It was scripted, so we had meant to have two punts each. Um, he had his two. Um, they both went about 34 yards, and then I had mine. I kicked it 54 yards in my first kick. And anyway, they then cut my second kick out, so I didn't get to kick the second time. Next week was the first game. In, uh, sorry, pre-season. Pre-season. Yeah, so, and we're playing. Anyway, we had 10 punts. It was a, yeah, we couldn't score. We had 10 punts in that pre-season game, and I didn't get one. So this BJ, Ray Guy winner, um, you know, third round draft pick was just under so much pressure. He had, um, I think it was like a 36, or 33 or 36 yard average in the game. So he's copping a lot of heat. Yeah, and they're expecting big things. He's, That's so the club's him, now yeah. under pressure. And if, you know, in those circumstances, third round, you get paid, you get played. And so they probably were thinking that we need to make this work. This kid's got to play, as in the, the BJ Sands. And if the, you know, if you look at it, we've just paid a lot of money. He's got to work out, or we look silly. We can't have a third round draft pick. This skinny leg dude from Australia come home, come over, and who's never played outbeat our third round draft pick. And then they, again, during the, for the coming up to the league game, the next game, it was a case of are you going to punt this Chapman kid? And they said, like, yes, we will. And it was really funny. I just remember. I just knew that in the lead up with all my, not the anxiety, but coming up to my first game, I was really preparing myself for it. So when I didn't punt, I literally, I could have slept for two days. I was that worn out mentally. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I was just drained. And uh, because I didn't punt, I then had to rebuild it for the next week. And I, I just wasn't in the same. I was, I was in the, I was, I was having a ball, but I kicked too much before the game. You know, I'm at my, my, Levels of you peaked um, out. I, it was. I felt like I must have peaked out because I just had nothing in my legs. I was like really over the top. Um, yeah, which is a learning curve. So had three kicks in that game. Um, Bj Sanders again had something like five kicks, average thirty four yards. So he'd had three really bad weeks in a row. Chatting to Australians flying the flag in the US of A. This is the Flag Flyers. So was that your one season? That was, um, yeah, that was it. Um, and why'd you come back and or what, did, you, did you try and pursue it again or, or what was the whole situation that made you sort of pull up stumps from, from that career? Uh, well, it was a case of um, not knowing how it worked and leaving home straight away and then having, I've been being signed. I didn't have any money. I didn't go over there with money. I didn't understand that if you got paid or if you got a contract, you didn't get paid. So everything back home got put on hold, you know, mortgages and what do we do with our kids at school and all of those type of things were taking effect. And I didn't come from money, you know, leaving football because I hadn't played football for two and a half years. So it was really, you know, it was financially I was in strife. And then we got this chance to play. Um, I couldn't stay in the States. I had no, obviously had no visa and I wasn't getting paid. I hadn't paid, been paid for six months while I was at Green Bay because, you know, you might have got a couple of hundred bucks a week and you f- some food and accommodation, but you couldn't make any money, so I had to send... Oh, you, they didn't actually 
Obviously, you signed the contract, but none of it was guaranteed in any way, shape, or form. No, so any of those contracts are all just pro rata through the season, not even through the preseason. So you you might get two, three hundred bucks to work out for the week. You get paid three hundred bucks a week to, to work out. That money was just getting sent straight back home. Yeah. Because sorry, and because I didn't have my visa, I didn't get that literally until the day I left, <laughs> and it was so there was no money. Um, I mean, you know. Once they cut me, they were like, see you later. And I had to fight, you know, tooth and nail with them to say, listen, I can't even afford to fly home. So you got me here. And then John Dorsey had to go in and tell the club, listen, he's on his ass here. Can we at least fly him back to Australia? And that's why I came home. In the meantime, you know, um, got a you know got a bed and somewhere to stay, you know, so thankful from uh, from Darren and Rosemary Bennett when they were in the, the Vikings up in Minnesota. Oh, so that they, was his. That was his last year in Minnesota, was it? Uh, or yeah, it would have been. Or yeah, was it his? I think he spent one year up there. Yeah, so he was up there, and we went up there, and um, you know, thankful for him, he gave us a place to stay because we, while we were waiting for the the Packers to see if they could fly us home. So you know, my wife, we had a four year old, and my wife was pregnant, and so it was a a stressful time. So he came back here and. Um, Kept at it, went back, had a workout at Chicago and Cincinnati, didn't get signed, still had no money, and thought, no, nah, listen, I'm just going to, you know, this is such a long shot. Risk versus reward, didn't have any money, had to keep coming back. Was working for my father-in-law, so, you know, he needed me to be here and work. So it was, you know, a really awkward sort of situation to be in. When we, when I, I knew I could do it, but I was still probably finding out how to do it at the time. So at what stage did you realise that there was a need and a market for Pro Kick Australia and how did that all become about? Um, it, well, it was more about, it was probably an opportunity for me to, I, I knew I, I knew or felt like my, my way in life was still around sport. I felt like I had to do something around the sport area and as thankful and grateful as I was working for my father-in-law, it was it was sort of in a field in sales, um, and they were importers from um, they imported uh, f- pumps and fountain pumps and stuff for Telstra, and still do uh, from Italy, um, cable hauling equipment and things like that. So, but I knew my whole life had been around sport. So to come back and go, I know I can do this, and I've done this th- a few things the wrong way. There's probably got to be a way where I can. I can help other guys get a leg up and, and know that there is a need for Australian guys over there, but they're probably just going to need some, some help along the way. So what point when you went over there or throughout this whole process did you find out about the college pathway and the fact that these kids, punters, can get you know full scholarship rides to these universities? And, and what was that you know whole process of going, oh, there's business in there because I know that you know us Aussies, if trained correctly can have a, uh, a leg up, excuse the pun, um, on all these other yanks? Uh, well, I mean, probably from our point of view, it was not wishful, think- wishful thinking, but it was, um, as we looked more into the NFL side of it, the college side of it came up. Um, you know, and without going, you know, without going into the story, I'd, I'd, I'd started working with a guy who ended up letting me down from a business point of view. Mm. Um, uh, and for the same reasons, you know, uh, let me down with information regarding money we might have had from sponsors initially to, to start Pro Kick Up, and which didn't um, and was never there, but I told it was. So I quit my job and then started Pro Kick and uh, 
So in that 12-month development stage, we sort of, you know, found, you know, I guess tried to advertise through the NFL and the college side of it. Um, you know, just after a few more years, it sort of it just meant that the best thing for us to do is get kids into college to get them educated and then go on to the NFL because we know how, how hard the NFL is. But Plus there's a market. There's yeah. 334 Division One football teams. Yeah, but the, one of the hardest things was... I was doing this from Queensland, so I would literally, when I first started, um, you know, I think in terms of money made, you know, I was certainly, I was spending more in flights coming to Melbourne and and doing that travel to train the guys two or three days a week. Um, You know, I spent more in flights than I did actually making because we only had three or four players in our first year. So it was a case of, you know, I had no money, I quit my job. And then I literally had to live off bread and beans. So, I think it's a, a pretty good, um, especially when uh, again we won't have enough time to go all the way into it. But getting to know the the bare uh, facts about your situation and things like that, you know, the basically you know jumping full on in and, and the risk. Your opening batch of pro kickers boys was a pretty good one, from what I understand. It was. Can you name name who it were? It was yeah. So we had uh, well in our first year we had five players giant join and we had uh Stephen Irvine who we put in the AF and the Arena League. Yeah. Um he was a kicker from Sydney. Um we had Jai Bond who we we had workouts at Green Bay, San Francisco and then we got him signed at Miami. And then we had Alex Danaki at Hawaii. Combine appearance too in 2013. Yeah, full uh, he had full scholarship to Hawaii. Then we had um Thomas Dydam who had uh full scholarship to Portland State and Jordan Berry, who's um, obviously, you know, Eastern Kentucky, full scholarship, and uh, now at the Steelers. So, Where did Tom Hornsey come into that? Was he he uh, was year two. Year two. He was the second year. So, you know, to think that we'd started something out of nothing and then all of a sudden we had three scholarships and two guys playing pro football, it was like, uh, actually probably done all right. Yeah. So how much did that come down to, to networking and the ability to actually get uh, your name and your brand out there with all the college coaches? Because I assume you would have done a lot of networking with a whole bunch of coaches around the uh, the country. Yeah, well, I mean, that my first networks were probably, probably mostly with the NFL teams, and that's where we right. started. So the college thing was secondary. Eastern Kentucky was brought about via Rick Sang who I, and Ray Guy, who I first went to their kicking camp in 2003. And they, we, we took the three boys across to their camps, and that's where they said, geez, these boys all can kick. And and then through their connections at colleges and, um, you know, connections with uh, that Johnny Smith has at Hawaii was the reason Alex Danaki got to Hawaii. And Ray Guy and Rick Sang helped out um, contacts with uh, Jordan Berry going to Eastern Kentucky because of, you know, Coach Hood. And again, actually, Johnny Smith had a newer coach at Portland State, and it was like that. They were really basic, I guess, contacts there in that initial phase, and where mine was coming mostly from the NFL, and we could have workouts with certain, yeah, you know, got to work out the Forty ers and Green Bay and Miami and Chris Bryan, and yeah. So it was like that's, and then as as it sort of you know progressed. I had to look in and start, you know, meeting new contacts at these colleges, and you know, we had some NFL teams say, hey, "Ring my buddies at this college," and it sort of started from there. So, throughout the last 
five, six, seven years. It's gone to a point now where, including this upcoming season, you've now got kids at Texas, Oregon, USC, Michigan, Utah, Ohio State. Uh, you've had it at Minnesota. You've had them at Penn, uh, you got them at Penn State. You've got them at basically every big program you could imagine. Now you've got coaches that are actively calling you two Ray Guy winners back to back. What? How far is this going to go in terms of the the actual market penetration of Australians? filling roster spots for punters. Are they calling you up every day saying, send me someone? Oh, it's still, still a pretty tough journey. Some are easier than others. If, if the coach uh, recognises that he doesn't know punting or kicking and says, hey, who have you got? And we show him something good. We can get a lot of trust um, and coaches will pick up a kid straight away. Other times we make phone calls and they don't want to know us. So, still? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um Again, only because their job on the line. And if they make a wrong call, if they feel like their job's under pressure, they'll stick with something safe. If, they, if they're comfortable with where they're at and they've got a voice in the decision, they can aggressively outreach, outsource and come to Australia and, and look at the guys we've got. But the more players we place in those programs, the more these coaches play against them and then they're, they're more, I guess, attuned to seeing one of our guys and then say, Gee, you know what, he was really tough to play against. And that what's that's what opens opens the door, and why we make sure that our guys do that because we, we want them to set the example so other coaches say where do I get one, sure. and that's that's sort of our pledge and promise and and inspiration for a lot of the kids is to say get your degree but you play well because we need you to open the door for a new guy. Out of all the coaches that you've spoken to over the years. Who's been the one that you've loved chatting to the most? Is there a specific story or any coach that you've had a chat to that you kind of thought this guy's for real? This guy's you know amazing. Um, we have we have a great relationship right now with Coach Baxter at. I knew you were going to say Coach Again, Baxter, and it's really good, Alan, because if you you ring him up, he picks the phone up and he'll stop what he's doing. He'll give you two hours on the phone if need be. He likes to talk mechanics. He like do you know what I mean? Like he, he's really into the process of making his team better via one of the guys we've got um he was instrumental he was you know the story goes he was actually going to recruit nick perebsky out of snow college um but nick couldn't go academically and why coach baxter was so good is he said i know i can't have nick now and then we went right down the pathway of it that he said he look he can't come he hasn't done enough credits i'll tell you what we're going to do i'm going to help you get him to another place so even though it wasn't his team he looked out and helped us with, you know, getting some paperwork in order and going through what he needs to do. So that's probably one way one way he sticks out. But you know, lots of great conversations with many of great coaches, uh, and probably one that comes to mind. Even though I don't have a, a formal relationship with him, but spoke to him was you know probably having a, a Skype conference call with Nick Saban in his office when we we're trying to recruit Cameron Johnson there. So and your kid was in on the, the Skype call, wasn't he, too? Yeah, yeah. He just woke up, came down, wanted me to butter his toast and <laughs> had to say good day to Coach Saban. And um, he just wanted his jam put on his toast, <laughs> which is interesting. Yeah. So going through now, you're, uh, the next progression, I imagine, it's quite an exciting period. You're jetting off to the US on Wednesday, Thursday, and you're going around flaunting your talents at all these um, pro kicker uh, camps. What is that the next evolution of Prokey, just getting around the US and teaching them the, the, the Aussie drop punt? Oh, yeah, we're just trying to get across and, you know, it's one of our coaching tools that we've got is we're not here exclusively 
to you know to keep it to ourselves. We'd expect that our Aussie guys are better at it, but you know, education and learnings. You know, I can't. It's not. It's not a secret. If a, a, like Sam Loy came across from America to learn it, I'm not going to say no. Um, we've got things to offer, whether it be our spiral punting or our Aussie kicks. I've got a great connection. I hadn't been across there, you know, for a number of years. Um, we're using it as a tool to to get all of our guys together to come and get some coaching before fall camp so they can have a good um, start of the season. So it's all about, you know, how do we make our guys better? And, um, you know, if you're in the, I guess, the world of education, you, your job is to educate. Um, and we've got, we're certainly not going to shy away from, you know, teaching any American kids. In fact, it, we probably want to do it because they need help. Mm. Now, someone's got to play. If it means that we raise the bar of... US kids, well, great. Our guys need to step up and be better and train harder and understand how much work they're putting in over there. So our guys just might need to train harder. So, you know, let's just make that position a better position so it probably gets more recognition across all levels, college and the NFL, and it's not just a the last pick on the roster and it's it's actually becomes a weapon, whether it be the guy who kicks the consistent directional ball or you become the Tom Hackett who... who puts it at the one yard line every time and who's to say that they don't go that way and don't carry a you know a fourth string cornerback or you know offensive lineman but they put a second specialist in so they've got a massive guy who can kick a 60 yarder from you know when the ball's in the end zone or they can got a guy when it's midfield to know that they'll always place it without being a touchback on the three yard line it's pretty important to have there was this uh, last little bit for me there was this uh, uh, great little um uh, visual graphic that one of the Utah uh, fan groups put out last year when Tommy Hackett was playing. It was just basically Tom Hackett silhouette with a with a gun uh, as his leg or whatever, saying our best form of offense is our punter or something like that. Yeah. And I could see it. I, I think it's uh, you're right. It's uh, changing the way that changing the perception of punters. Yeah. Uh, well, and that's where the perception's been a six foot five guy who kicks it a mile. Well, that's great, but if you've got no control going in. And you, you know, you're going to kick touchbacks, or you know, it might go 35 yards, or it might go 50, and you're not quite sure. Why wouldn't you get, you know, if there's seven touchbacks a year, and that's going to cost you 150 yards? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you look at getting a a, a new breed and saying, right, well, let's let's see if we can sacrifice a spot of a guy who actually you know, who might not play that that 52nd, 53rd guy on the roster and change him over so that we know that we've got our our punt special teams unit is covered. They'll have a specialist kickoff guy if need be. Do they develop it further and have a specialist going in guy? Mm. Again, if you knew, if you've got a good team and you know that you're going to, you know, 80% of your kicks are midfield, well, most of the guys, you know, like say Tommy Hackett, he's 5'11", He's not. He's not big. He still kicks a four point eight forty eight yard spiral, which is a nice kick in the NFL. But he can also place it at the one going in. So, will this? Will the new kicks, yeah, tempt the NFL to go in a different direction? It only takes one. It's 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 the it's the NFL team who's prepared to not have the six foot six quarterback and go with a Russell Wilson. Yeah, yeah, small and fast, run around, do different things. Just one more quick one before we let you go. Out of all the guys that you've had over the years, is there anyone specifically whose story really impresses you the most? Is there someone that comes to mind that they kind of started from nowhere, you didn't think they'd really 
make anything of themselves and they've gone on and done amazing, wonderful things. Is there anyone that uh, really comes to mind? Um, oh, do you know what? You know what? Jordan Berry's probably one in particular, only because he was just a skinny kid and he was placed at Eastern Kentucky and he'd done so well, but he was out of the, a lot of the media and he had to just fight through. You know, homesickness and his just determination to end up where he is now is probably a, a real example of, you know, he's in the back stalls of eastern Kentucky where it was quiet. And in a college town like that, when there when there was nothing on of the weekend, everyone would go home. But where he couldn't go anywhere. So he had to fight a lot of, you know, mental demons as such to say, what in the hell am I going to do? And it was five years. And I think just his determination to say, I'm going to stick at it, train hard, come back, he's pure focus to being able to stick at it through the whole process has probably been been one thing. Um, Beautiful. Chappie, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, once again, the Folk Files, you're one of our favourites here. I think you've been on uh, four or five or six times here, but we love you. We love what you're doing. We love the Pro Kick boys and we love watching them. So best of luck for everything and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Thanks, mate. Cheers.